Hi humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm so, I just put a gummy bear in my mouth. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Gummy bear in my mouth right before I started the call. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Madison Headland. She is a life coach, speaker, and worthiness mentor. She's centered on radical responsibility, resilience, and uncovering that authentic magic only you can bring to the table. She coaches ambitious and creative women as they reclaim their power and become the heroes of their own story. Madison, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It actually is really fun hearing you speak the bio because I'm like, yes, that's what I love to do. Um, It's really fun to hear you say that back. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, totally. And so go ahead and um, for maybe some listeners who don't know who you are, can you give us a little bit of your background? Absolutely. So, um, would you, do you mind if I speak from personal and professional? Is that cool? Absolutely. Yeah. Give I, it to in us. my life, they're incredibly intertwined. Yes. Give us all that you want. We're awesome. here for it. So all of it. Perfect. I, so I'm a life coach, worthiness mentor. And for those who are especially evangelical, I was very much on the track to like, I wanted to be a best more whenever I started in this industry. Are you guys familiar with Beth Moore? Oh, yes. Same, same here. So I, 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 first of all, before we even get into it, I resonate so much with a lot of your story um, from what I've like read and been, you know, seeing online and all of that and everything you put out. So yes, I definitely understand wanting to be the next (laughs) Beth Moore. So go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Well, and I, I wasn't necessarily raised Christian. My father became evangelical whenever I was eight. He went to prison and became born again in prison. So for most of my childhood, I wasn't raised with Christianity. It was a very loose idea of God. And I had a, a spirituality as a child and it wasn't, um, it wasn't religious. But as my dad became more indoctrinated um, in my home life between my families, wasn't necessarily healthy. It was quite traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um as a teenager, I, it, I indoctrinated myself. I really <laughs> um, loved the idea of a caring and loving God. I was like, this church felt like family to me. And so by you know 12, I chose to be baptized. And at 16, I was driving myself to youth group and to church. And it wasn't until I went into college in Southern Missouri um, that I really 
found myself in very religious circles because mm-hmm. God had always been just like a good thing yeah. up, into, up until that point. And so um, when I got to college, I was going to school for sex therapy. I really, I wanted to be a therapist and found myself in some really intense, both Baptist communities and some really intense um, charismatic communities mm-hmm. um, that, that would be like associated with Bethel or IHOP Kansas City. Yeah. And so I, you know, I became very legalistic and religious and I got married in college um, as you do in a lot of those circles. <laughs> I got married when I was 20 and um, it wasn't until like after graduation deciding not to get my master's and kind of having a a family crisis, I I realized that I was doing a lot of things um, to help other people, like spreading the good news and wanting to be a therapist that um, was very indicative of my own lack of healing. And I couldn't figure out why in my, like all of the prayers and fasting and my devotion to God that was very sincere. It, it wasn't something I was raised in, right? It was something I chose and was very dedicated to and was very real for me yeah. that my life wasn't getting better and nothing was actually changing. And in a lot of ways, it was a um, like a band-aid for some deeper pain in my life. Yeah. Um, so I went to actually a Christian trauma therapist and within six months, I kid you not, it was like the genie was out of the bottle. Like wow. all of a sudden <laughs> my life didn't make sense. My chronic acne, yeah, my chronic acne disappeared, IBS, like all of these physical symptoms like started going away. And I was like, there's something to this trauma therapy that yeah. is mm-hmm. really helping me. And it was at that point that I realized, um, one, I didn't want to be a therapist because I was like, this is amazing. And wow, I don't want to do this work. <laughs> and also I started to feel super misaligned with my church. Mm. And um, that was about seven years ago now. And that journey led me into discovering coaching and um, getting into this work, which I actually started as a Christian. I was a Christian life coach when I first began. Um, But it, it really all unfolded from there whenever I was no longer living from a lot of the trauma, the, um, and the unworthiness of my my history the christianity i had chosen it didn't really work whenever i wasn't operating from brokenness anymore mm-hmm. and so that um led me for, to a lot of questions about if i don't if i have to believe i'm broken for this to work and i have to operate broken for this to work um is it working <laughs> so um, it's kind of the foundation for the work i do as a coach also because really whenever I realized that belief and story and what we believe about ourselves very much shapes the way we move in the world, mm. be it from um, trauma um, or just from being born in a religious system or being born in a patriarchal white supremacist system, all of these systems shape the way we unconsciously believe yeah. and they're rooted in who's worthy and who's not worthy. And yeah. realizing that and realizing there's actual people who've been doing liberation work for years incredible black women who've been paving the way for this work. Yep. Um, that's kind of what these questions I started asking led me to and have been, have become the foundation of what I teach as I help women in particular deconstruct the stories that keep them in unworthiness. Mm-hmm. So it started with my own deconstruction of religion and trauma. But what I've noticed is that it's not just Christians who are deconstructing their faith that deal with these issues because they're systematic issues. Yes. Mm, wow, that's huge. I mean, just the idea that that this kind of deconstruction transcends Christianity is 
I think a topic all all on its own that it's just it's not Christianity isn't the thing that you have to like default like dissociate from to be able to start finding yourself and start believing in your body and start like finding wholeness you can find that coming from any sort of space non-theistic or any other kind of space too but it's it's interesting that once once you do start finding that wholeness and you start finding that space where you exist and you are whole and you as as a a a being that's living on this planet like you are complete and whole and good and operating from that space it seems to drive people not away from christianity but when you bring that into christian or into to religious institutions of christianity it tends to create a divide between you and even community that's been around you forever Oh yeah. Um, I feel like that is, that is the pain point of the deconstruction for a lot of people that I I know for me and for a lot of people I know is like, that is their home. That is their family. That's where they belong. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like if those people no longer accept you? And that does transcend Christianity because anytime we start questioning systems, family systems, if we start questioning in our friend group, Hey, like, you know, I don't appreciate that racist comment. And let's, let's talk about that. Wow. Um, it makes everyone uncomfortable. And it starts, I mean, that's why we, we don't question um, because it, it messes with our sense of belonging, which is so it's a primal need. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I'm curious. So did you feel you didn't grow up, like you said, you didn't grow up in religion necessarily. Was there a point in your, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you said that your dad, right, had kind of accepted faith mm-hmm. through Christianity. Um, was that was that the moment that you decided mm-hmm. you wanted to pursue religious faith? Or was there something else in your life you felt like you were missing? Was it like a spiritual need? Or what was like that turning point for you to seek out Christianity? Yeah. Well, Christianity was the, is like the overculture framework. And so I had a Christian framework, even though I wasn't in a religious mm. family, because growing up in America in general, like you do Christmas, you know, sometimes right. there's a church thing that we would go to, but it was always like someone, someone was getting baptized. You sure. know? Yeah. And it wasn't, it didn't mean anything to my family. Um, and, you know, my father is, is actually quite radical in his beliefs. He's very Calvinist and, mm-hmm. um, you know, take a on his Facebook every now and then and get personally triggered by <laughs> the things that are on there. And so his, his version of Christianity was actually oh, always very um, harsh to me. And as a child, I believed in God and I, I felt like I had a relationship with God even before he became a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until actually that I started having mentors in my life and people that were older, like parents, figures in my life who started really encouraging me and which has been a pattern in my life that like older women will like say they see something in me and want to mentor me mm-hmm. um and you know I had a really difficult home life and that, that felt really good to have someone see something in me that they wanted to invest in yeah. so I would form bonds with these people who would take me out to coffee and really invest in me and I think I, in a lot of ways, had that stereotypical broken home that sometimes Christian demographics can target for uh, needing that love. Yeah, and 
and it was true. Like I, I really did need it. And I needed to feel like I belonged. I needed to feel like someone really cared for me. Um, and through that, through those people investing in me, really, I, I felt the, I really felt the love of God. And so it also was very safe. I've, I've spoken to some friends about whenever your home life is very traumatic or like my father, for example, suffered from alcoholism and finding Christ really saved him from that. Yeah. So whenever you have something that's fundamentally very un, like, un, I guess, secure, insecure yeah. at the foundation, finding legalism or fundamentalism feels so safe. Mm. And so fundamentalism felt really safe to me because my home life didn't feel safe at all. And although there was a lot of rules, I grew up in a very strict home. They didn't, there was no reason why it felt very like it was strict, but it wasn't because of God. It wasn't because of goodness. And it felt very um, like my family was a different person in public than they were at home. Mm -hmm. And in my child mind, my teenage mind, I had interpreted, well, that's just because my parents aren't following God correctly. Mm, and okay. if I dedicate my life to, to God in this path, um, that, you know, these mentors are helping me invest in, that's where I will find security. That's where I will find love. Um, and also because my home life was very abusive, God's love felt so kind. Mm, and I yeah. already believed I was broken because of so much of the abuse that that narrative wasn't much different than at home, except for there was someone who could still love me um, and like make up for my brokenness. Where at home, it was like nothing I did was enough. Yeah. At church, I could, I was so skilled at knowing how to play the roles, being the best. And so I, even though you don't need to be the best because of supposedly God's grace, I still knew how to become <laughs> the best in that culture yeah. uh, through following the rules. And so it was, it fed so many needs. Um, that it really, it really served me through those years. And I'm actually my, I'm one of six, I have six siblings okay. and I'm the only one who chose Christianity in that way. Mm. And it really, as far as like life trajectory really saved me from a lot of, um, a different kind of pain. Right. So it's, it's really interesting, um, you know, watching all of our paths and who chose, you know, either what version of Christianity or who chose religion at all. I think there's a lot of, uh, as Richard War says, like the foundations, the fundamentalism is actually developmentally healthy for someone mm -hmm. who, who didn't have security and you're supposed to grow out, you're supposed to grow out of that. So right. yeah, I, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> Beautiful. I, so I, I'm curious then is, do you still, you said you go on your dad's Facebook sometimes and <laughs> It's like almost self yeah. self sabotaging a little bit because you're like, I know what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I'm like, I'm just gonna check it out for a little humor. Yeah, right. Well, and I, and I understand. So, do you have? Do you two have a relationship? Does he see your stuff? What you post? What you're about? Um, you know, he does. Um, and ever since I started this past year, I'm I'm recently divorced. I've recently started dating a woman and you know, he's been divorced five times. And so he connected with me about that. And mm -hmm. I did tell him about that, but I'm living my life just as I have nothing to explain. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I've moved into dating a woman is like, I don't understand why I have to explain this to everyone. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he and I wow. have still not um, like communicated about that overtly um, because 
I do post about it and I just, I'm just living my life. Um, but I, you know, I didn't do the holidays with family this year. Um, actually not because of that, um, because of other family things, but, um, but I just like set a pretty strong boundary that, you know, this is a really difficult year. I think I would like to lay low, yeah. um, having gotten divorced and starting to date women is a lot, but, um, we do have a relationship and it's, um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a deep relationship, but it, for me is a lot of understanding that like his fundamentalism saved him mm-hmm. and it's not always healthy for me to be around it all the time, yeah. but that's what he chose. And that's what he thinks is best. And fortunately he's a Calvinist. So he just thinks that one day I'll come around and yeah. if I'm destined to be a Christian, I will be. Yeah. So it, it kind of the, the Calvinism is a relationship in some ways that he doesn't have to preach at me all the time. Yeah. 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 I, um, I relate to that. And, um, I, I love that you say like you fundamentalism, it, it healed him. It saved him. And that it's like you having space for mm-hmm. people and, and where, what, what is working for them and not trying to, I think this, I think growing up in Christianity, there's this like mentality of like, you have to go and save everybody and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you you kind of believe that yeah. my way is is the best way, and you you do things out of it's covered up in and with love, right? Like you're you're saying things and you're calling on people to um, change or grow in your way because it's you know you say it's because you love them and you do love them and we do love them, but because um, I, I I personally relate to my parents um, are both they're more towards that direction um, of Calvinism and. Um, they kind of hoping and praying I, I return <laughs> back to center mm-hmm. as they call it. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, yeah. And I've just learned that my center is different than their center and that's, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I, it's the only tricky thing is navigating whenever my nervous system is really dysregulated in his presence from the conversation is yeah. like, okay, I can, like, I can accept where he's at. And also I think Christmas is the year I'm going to sit out, you know, mm-hmm. and knowing how to, um, and I, I've mentioned this in random places before, and I don't know where I heard it. So if anyone knows who to credit this quote to, but there are 30 second, 30 minute, you know, three day and three week people. And you just have to know how much time is like healthy for you to spend with someone. And so I try to use that with my dad and with my family. Like I, if I am waiting for him to change in order for me to feel good about my life, I'm going to be waiting for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I do know that he loves me and that version of love looks very different than, you know, what, what I hope it would look like, but I do believe he loves me. And I think that that's, he's doing his best with what he has, which has taken me a while to come to, but it feels a lot better than just waiting for him to change in order to feel good about myself. Well, I think that the key thing is, is establishing boundaries for yourself is the primary way from like keeping yourself from imposing your own beliefs onto other people. Because once you can find that space where the only person that you can control is you and, and you can start managing the people that are around you, that's, that's huge. Because I think that's, I think that's a lot of the struggle that uh, that I've seen, at least in conservative church, where it's just 
everybody wants to be available all the time and everybody wants everybody around them to be in the same space as them rather than sitting down and establishing boundaries for themselves and, and making that decision ahead of time to save pieces of themselves for themselves. And, and, and that just frees up so much room for people to have and establish their own, their own belief systems. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. And I'm sure that both of you have seen this. Um, and if you haven't, please correct me, but that a lot of people will leave Christianity and become evangelical for something else mm -hmm. and be yeah. like very black or white about <laughs> something else. And so it's like, now it's veganism or, you know, now it's um, being an atheist or whatever it becomes. Um, it's still just as pushy as the evangelicalism was and just mm. as, just as much of a trap. And I think that is like, I try to keep myself uh, in check about that, yeah. that I have been wrong before. I've been sincerely wrong before, mm -hmm. and I'm probably sincerely wrong about something right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so like see everyone on their own path that like, I don't know why their soul is here. Um, I don't get to know that that's between them and their higher power. So to yeah. continue and doing work around codependence with this, because I think evangelicalism, like, breathes codependence in us that we're responsible for everyone's salvation mm -hmm. for like all of eternity that's a really like a really big weight <laughs> a really big weight so um like shedding that codependence of like I'm not responsible for anyone's journey no one's responsible for mine and like I'm probably sincerely wrong about something right now as I happened in the past and yeah. thank goodness that people are patient with me yeah yeah, I love that. And I, you know, something that I love about just the way you communicate is that is like, you know, n basically not taking it life too seriously, whether it's like deconstruction too seriously or reconstruction, mm -hmm. however, whatever verbiage you want to use. Um, it's like you have you've posted and you've encouraged people about, you know, um, I think there was like one post I was going through your highlights and you were like eating you're like eating some sort of pie or something on a paper plate with a plastic <laughs> fork. And you're like, yeah, and my nipples are showing through my shirt. It's like, and you're <laughs> yeah. like, you know what? Like, calm down. Like everybody just like calm down, live a little. <laughs> and I, that's part of, you know, uh, even spirituality can get so, so, so serious. And that's, it's never something I've really been drawn to is the seriousness. Like I've always been a very spiritual person like from a very yeah. young age I was very connected to a, a god presence a light uh whatever the energy was that you know I, I was little I didn't have the words for it but I knew I felt that connection and yeah so I was never really into the whole seriousness yeah. of it all and um that's something I just I love about you and the way you communicate is that you know some things are serious. Like there is take trauma and take healing seriously. But at the same time, like you got to learn when to let it like let go and let life happen. You know, like mm -hmm. life is happening kind of for yeah. you and with you, not to you. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I love that even doing yoga and things like that. If I don't, if I can't like smile and laugh in the middle of it and everybody's just taking it too seriously, I can't deal with it. Like I just, my spiritual practices has have to come with a little yeah. bit of joy. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, deconstruction and, you know, dealing with trauma, maybe they're synonymous for some people. Well, maybe they're not like they're heavy. Mm -hmm. Like 
I was my friend Kylie. I don't know if you guys have heard of Kylie Macbeth, but she mm-hmm. and I were talking about deconstruction recently, and I was talking about how in like fundamentalism or your belief system is your root chakra. It is your foundation, and mm-hmm. it to take away something that's like your foundation yeah. is to like rock your entire identity mm-hmm. and your foundation rocks everything above it. And so when you're deconstructing, be it, you know, something that happened to you in childhood or just your belief system in general, it rocks your entire life. It like really messes with your identity. And if you don't have lightness or joy, it is really hard. It is so hard, like almost like despair hard, like falling into like What's the point? Um, and that's mm-hmm. existential crisis is real. I, I work with a lot of people from my programs that they're doing this. And about week four, there's this despair of like, how do I get out of it? And it actually, for a lot of people, feels like they're not allowed to have joy mm-hmm. and they're not allowed to take themselves like lightly or laugh at themselves. And one of my one of my favorite mentor, like mentors, her name's Janet. She just, every time I come to her with something that's like really hard and she's just like nothing serious is going on here like mm, get over it that's and it, so it's huge so contrary to like what is trauma informed yeah it, and i'm like are you allowed to say that to me and <laughs> i'm at a place where she knows that it's actually safe for her to say that to me you know i'm not yeah. coming with in trauma therapy she's not a trauma therapist with that kind of information but to, to like what if i could just be like yeah this actually isn't a big deal and to know when it is Right. But also to know, like, oh, this, I'm actually just perpetuating the pain by, like, mm-hmm. continuing to tell myself this story over and over again versus I actually need to feel this fully. And I, I think that um, if we don't have the ability to laugh at ourselves, like, then the, the opposite of that for me is shame. Yeah. Like, whenever everything we do evokes shame, like, that is so hard and so to learn the levity and the spaciousness is in my opinion like a resistance to shame and I think that's something that you have so like innately when you're a kid is like you just everything's easy everything's light nothing has any ramifications to it or anything like that and I know a little bit about Lauren's story as she grew up before she understood what religion was but obviously you had some time too before you yeah. were brought into what is religion? What is the weight of religion and and the savior mentality and all of that kind of stuff? So I would just love to know like like who who were you as a little kid that just what was your spirituality like? What was what what did you see in the world that was magical for you? Oh my goodness. Some of my first memories are just of being outside with the sun on my skin mm-hmm. um like just being in nature I you know I grew up with a, a lot of land and so I would go in the back and we had trees like p- these big pine trees that would fall and I felt like it was like my little nook in the woods where I hid mm-hmm. things and so things like that but also creativity um being able to be creative painting being in my room um, and also dance, which is actually still something that I feel very connected to is I grew up moving my body a lot. I, mm. I danced three times a week and then I did martial arts and the ability to move my body was huge. And I think actually helped me a lot through really difficult times. Mm. Um, music, I mean, music, music and dance is actually one of the reasons I loved worship and has been like one of the hardest things to give up. Yeah. And 
try to redefine my relationship with since leaving the church. What does that look like? Leaving worship? What you said that was one of the hardest things to give up. Yeah. What, what is that? Or like what, what type of worship did you leave behind and what do you have now? Yeah. Well, honestly, all worship music really triggered me for a while. Mm -hmm. And it was like, because it was so meaningful to me while I was in it, that everything felt like I had to, I had to give it all up. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it felt so fake. I felt like I wasn't allowed to have it anymore. It was very like, well, you're either a Christian or you're not. A lot of people I knew. And so it, it felt like to, and to partake in it, felt like people me saying I was leaving or they would take me less seriously or um, that it would be used against me in some way, to be mm-hmm. honest, that yeah. people in my life would say, well, see, God is still speaking to you. Like Jesus is still trying to, mm. to, to get to your heart. And it felt so dismissive of my experience that to do with Christianity, because I didn't want to like, to use Christian terminology, like give people a foothold to mm-hmm. manipulate me <laughs> because it, it felt like that was happening a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, um, it took some time, uh, but honestly going, doing a lot of trauma work and therapy through it is being mentors who weren't in my life as Christians really helped me figure out how to circle back and find a way to worship. And I think for me, what worship is, is connection through awe and wonder and Mm. the ways that I'm able to have that now are similar. Yeah. But also I've been able to find it in my body in other places, like over food and cultivating in spaces that aren't inherently religious at all. I have a couple of friends who are not religious that I do brunch with and go to concerts with, and they don't have like a, a foundational spirituality um, even like I do today. And I, I find God in so many of those moments in ways that I never found God in the church. Yeah. So now it's like moving through life with awe and wonder as often as I can. And hopefully a lot of dance parties. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. So you're like giving me verbiage. Like I'm going to listen back through this probably multiple times because everything you're saying from your childhood, you know, literally you started with like, oh, my first memories of me as a kid is, letting the sun like like seep into my skin and on my face and then I also did the same thing I grew up around a lot of land I would go down in the backyard and I would sit on a big rock and look at the trees and listen to the birds and so all the way from that to you know you're talking about worship um, I don't know if you know much about our background but we were in the Christian music industry for about 10 years um and slash r I mean we're not really but um Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, my sister ended up quitting the band, and it was like this whole big identity crisis Mm. shift for me. Um, So also, just to let you know, Adam is my drummer, (laughs) husband and drummer, (laughs) but anyway, so we're a band together. Um, And Yeah. (laughs) So whenever that happened, you know, he and I had true identity shifts just by careers, like just alone careers and then um, everything that we were touring artists and touring musicians. But then also it was the first time I wasn't, I wasn't engulfed in Christian culture. Um, 
and really had and felt like I had a choice. And a lot of my deconstruction, our deconstruction came from, you know, beginning of our relationship, I realized that life, I was meant to be happy. I fell in love with Adam and I was like, oh my gosh, love is amazing. Mm. Love it. Love is love. And I just like it changed my whole, like, I don't know, my outlook on life. I was finally first time ever happy. And then once my sister quit the band, I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm not in this community anymore. So it even, that even like further developed my deconstruction. So anyway, I I say all that because, you know, I, it's, it's been about, like I said, a year and a half now since then, but we've won last year, we won a Juno award for our our album. um, And then we are up for multiple other awards for covenant awards as a Christian band, as a Christian band. Yeah. So, wow. You know, Adam and I are going to that and like our band really isn't happening anymore. Um, it really, it, it's not my sister is now she's doing BGB singing background for another Christian band and she's on winter jam. All of that is really painful <laughs> to watch. I've like, you know, winter I jam. what? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so I she, said winter jam. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Flashback. Yeah. So the whole thing, it's, yeah. it's very like, yeah. it's very incredibly triggering and painful all the while I'm deconstructing, uh. but all the while I'm feeling family issues, like family things, spiritual stuff and career things. I, my mind is just blown all the time. <laughs> so um, yeah, I have lots that I'm like kind of shifting through, but I only say all of that because I definitely relate to you with the whole worship thing. Cause one, I was in worship. I did worship. I led worship. It was literally my life. Um, and now through my deconstruction, I, I also find worship triggering because I also love it so much. And it's like this, like worship as in so meaningful. Yeah. It's so meaningful. It's like, and I, you know, when we say worship, we mean like the Christian songs, like, cause now, you know, I'm definitely under the the idea that worship is anything that, yeah, like you said, connection. But whenever I'm saying worship now, it's, I'm talking about the Christian music. Um, and so, yeah, it's a whole thing that I'm going wow. through and trying to decide wow. and figure out um, if I need to take back that band for myself and start writing spiritual music for people like me and people like you who have this, like, uh, connection mm. to the the sounds and the the energy of worship music, mm-hmm. but with lyrics that speak life and love and openness and inclusive mm-hmm. a- inclusivity and all of that, and trying to figure out how to do that and also not be triggered by putting out faith <laughs> music. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I I have numerous friends who were you know, touring with IHOP or Bethel or mm-hmm. um, had their own band that have had to leave and have felt like they've spent their entire 20s mm-hmm. devoting their life to something that like kicks them out essentially whenever yeah. they started asking questions. And collectively, all of us who come from those environments seem to be like, I still listen to this music, but like, but can I, there's something so resonant to the sound, like you said, and I can't even imagine refinding your voice after creating a career in that industry. That's so deeply personal. Yeah. That's, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah it's a lot. And wow. I know you, you recommend therapy and counseling. And obviously that's something that you're very passionate about. And it's something that's like on 
like the top of our priority list is getting into therapy because I know there's so much because I I try to you know I try to learn mm-hmm. and like you I've even read you're like you can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts but there's something about that one-on-one you know therapy session work oh, that just is so powerful um and I because I know yeah. like at, at some point I'm gonna have to do that because there's only so much digging and healing and crying and dancing (laughs) that I can do on my own that, you know, can, can be healing. So uh, yeah, it's definitely something top of our priority list. Yeah. But like, look, look at you doing so much of the work. And this is actually something that I'm really grateful for my time in Christianity is that I really learned like healthy habits that like once I like was able to step away and, you know, take my break from quiet time and like the list that I felt like I had to do, I really, like I was doing a lot of it because I wanted to, I was doing a lot of it because it nourished me. Mm. And so being able to circle back to worship or to spending that time in the morning, those are habits that I don't see a lot of people outside of Christianity or um, a really, you know, conservative orientation just have been given mm-hmm. and so whenever we can reclaim them or even use them to heal I think it's like oh thank goodness I have this at my disposal but I've been journaling my entire life yeah. <laughs> because I was told to and now I know how to process my trauma <laughs> so yeah it seems like you're really doing a lot of work yeah it's like all that worship and prayer and all of that is is so it's it's not Christian. It's not it's not just inherently a Christian yeah. thing. It's it's no. something that us as spiritual beings in existence do just like naturally. And it's if, so for me recently something that I've been yeah. been that's helped me with deconstructing a lot of different facets of this is like the idea that when you're called to pray constantly that means you you literally mm-hmm. the literal definition of prayer then can't be sitting down, talking things out, apologizing for your sins, trying to turn around and do all these kind of things, saying amen, and then going on your merry way and living, living the rest of your life. I I feel like that causes such a, such a rift between your physical body and your spirituality. And now I feel like there's so much more Mm. joy and there's so much more life in, in everything. Like, like you said, like going to get good food Mm. and just being able to be in that space and be present and find connection with creativity and with physical senses and with emotional connection to people that are around you that has become prayer and worship and so now it's like being able to reintroduce Uh. things like singing and dancing and and sending intentionality and spirituality into something that's as um restorative and as like self-connecting as singing and dancing is to be able to put that intentionality back into it is just that's that's where we I want to be like seeking. Oh, oh my god. That is Adam, that is like so I just I just got off the way home retreat with Hillary McBride and Barbara oh. Aroshina. We spent a week with 15 women in Hawaii and that that was the intention of like how do we exist in worship in our bodies but what was so fun about it is that we didn't even talk about like, now we're going to enter into a time of worship. You know, it was, (laughs) let's move our bodies and let's do intuitive movement. And by the end, there were people literally on, on their knees, like with their arms out in worship, but it wasn't to Christian song. Yes, It wasn't to, it wasn't like, we didn't pray before we did it. It, In Hillary at one point looked up and said, 
something along the lines of like, do you see God is here? Like, do you see that she is you, Mm. that she is us? And it was so beautiful to see that we didn't have to have a sermon and then break for prayer and then enter into worship that, that worship began as we belonged there together. Yeah. It was so powerful. And everything you were saying, I was like, that is it. (laughs) That is Mm. it. Yeah, it's just so incredible. I feel like I feel like that has been the biggest development for me. It's just like seeing that everybody, no matter what your religious preference is, when you can seek out spirituality and you can seek that 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 connection and that oneness, it's just there 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 are there there is no Christianity or Islam or Judaism that that can contain something as massive as that connection. And I I um yeah I don't know if you follow do you follow the naked pastor online? <laughs> He's an on Instagram. He makes like I know of naked pastor. Okay. Okay. I, don't, I don't think I follow him, but I know of I've of him heard of him. Yeah, sure. Well, we we had him on our our podcast last season, and something that he's I I believe it was him. I'm I was t- looking at Adam. I was like, is this was it him? <laughs> um, I believe he said, um that now he says that he's like, okay, yes. When people ask, he's like, yes, I'm a Christian, but there's a, there's a Christian in me, but there's also an atheist in me. There's also a Buddhist in me. There's, there's, I am, I am all of those things. I have bits of those in me. So like the answer is yes. Um, and to me, that's something that like, I really, I really, the answer is yes. So I just, it's something I resonate with because I, I don't necessarily want to leave Christianity and everything that I ever learned or built my life on. I don't want to leave it. I don't want to leave the the healing good things behind. And that was something, you know, I thought I had to do at first in my deconstruction and it was, it was sad, but I was almost, you know, I, I, it was like tough love on myself. I was like, no, like look away, like look away from everything <laughs> that was healing and good. And that's just not, mm-hmm. that's not true. That's not healthy. That's not whole. That's picking, that's picking yourself apart. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that's something that like you re- resonate with as well, or if, or do you feel like you have to kind of leave the Christian name, terminology, verbiage, all behind or do you feel like you now can kind of bring it back into your practice? Mm. You know, I, I don't identify as Christian and it's actually been something that, um, because I don't care if Jesus rose from the dead or not. Like Mm -hmm. I literally do not think it matters to live a resurrected life. Yeah. Um, and so that would fundamentally make me not a Christian to right. my previous version of Christianity. The people that I know who are like, I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. And right. to not to be so apathetic towards it, I'm like, technically, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> because I, I'm i living a resurrected life. I'm I'm like, I, if I, you know, if I don't care that it happened, does that, you know, what does that mean? But what I also... What I will say is I think it is um, one of the reasons why I've chosen not to take that name for now. And I might circle back to it because I'm definitely a mystic and yeah. use Christian tradition and 
story in the way that I work and live in my life. It's, it's my history. And I still, like, I still relate to the language and the yeah. stories and who Christ was mm-hmm. and have a personal relationship with Christ, also Mary Magdalene. But mm-hmm. I, what I think is really missing from people who identify as Christian is a really honest look at systematic injustice that Christianity upholds. That yeah. if, if that is not looked at, I don't want to be associated. Right. And so I am trying to navigate that because I am like, you know, this is my tradition and we need to be, you know, working with our tradition to make change. And also in Springfield, Missouri, where I live, I still have not found a community of people that are doing mm-hmm. doing the real work to yeah. untangle Christianity from mm. white supremacy, from oppression, from the oppression of women, um, yeah. from patriarchy. And so in I I haven't reconciled if I feel like being a part of the change from the inside. Yeah. And if yeah. I want to re-engage in that way. Um so because I, I think that there's a lot of people who are like, I'm LGBTQ affirming, yay. But also my church doesn't have any LGBTQ people in leadership or people mm. of color or women. Yeah. But, you know, wow. I'm fine with it. And like, oh, I, and I, I have an issue with that. And I have a lot of friends who, you know, they're like, I accept you. And I still go to a church who says that you're going to hell. And I'm like, okay, so that's interesting to me mm. um, that you, to me that that we don't care enough to be leaning in and saying, if, if I'm identifying with it's not liberatory for all, then that's an issue. And if, if I ever reclaim the Christian title, I will, it will have to be in a space where I'm allowed to take up that kind of space and say, Hey, like the social justice issues that Christ would be caring about and be here pursuing yeah. um, need to be centered in Christian environments for me to ever feel comfortable in them. Yeah, no, so, I, I totally get that. I still do practice a lot of things that would be Christian. Yeah, 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 I totally understand. You know, I I was definitely on the hunt for a community like that. I'm an introvert. And so I like have to seek out people or else I'll just be in my house all the time and never leave. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I, uh, we, we live in Nashville, Tennessee, and, um, we attend a church called Grace Point and it, I, I was just talking with Adam. I was like, I feel so blessed because that truly is the heart. Like you don't even, the goal of the church is not to turn everybody into Christians. Literally the pastor was like, you know, just the other week was like, um, saying, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're, do, you're a good person. I don't want to change anything about you. Like, um, anyway, so he's just like, that's his whole thing. That's the church's like love and inclusivity. Um, but, and I, when I realized when I was deconstructing the first time I felt peace within my own Christianity, I guess my own faith, uh, walk, I guess, was when I realized when I mm-hmm. kind of like dawned on me that Jesus, the Jesus story, Jesus is for us and not God. Like God didn't need to send Jesus so that we could be okay. But mm. instead it's a story to yeah. me of people who felt like, you know, we always have this feeling like we're separated from God, although we're, we're not, and we never can be separated from God or the light or divinity, you know, um, we can't be, but we have this overwhelming feeling mm-hmm. and indoctrination that we are separated 
and we're always like everything, anything we do, anything we could do, could do that separation, could separate us from God. And I think humanity wanted, felt like they needed this sacrificial lamb, you know, because humanity felt that separation. And in my head and in my, you know, kind of thinking of like, what God may have said or done in God's head. It's like, okay, my people, humanity feel like they need this. I'm just going to go ahead and send me down <laughs> and just be this representation yeah. of, yes, I'm connected to you. Okay. Can we, can you please stop killing all these animals to like, feel like you're close to me? We're already here. I'm already there. I'm already with you always. And so anyway, when I like shifted my perspective that Jesus, you know, the story is basically God as kind of like a parent being like, okay, you don't really need your goggles to swim. I know you think you do, but here, here's, here's your goggles. Here's like your magic feather, you know, here's your to fly, you know, here's your thing, but you really don't need it. You really had me all along. And so when I shifted that, that's when I finally like felt peace. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Do you do you care if I share the way that I relate to Christ currently? Because I, I didn't really answer that, and I I would really love to. Yes, please go ahead. It's it's really similar to what you were saying, but I think I share in found out from Hillary McBride and I wish I could remember the researcher who actually does this research. I thought I came up with this idea and was sharing it with Hillary. And then Hillary was like, Oh yeah, so has been doing research on that. I'm like, darn it. I didn't know I didn't make it up, but I'm excited to read this person's <laughs> research studies. But it's this idea that um, if you have like a target, like um, like literally like the three layers of a target and on the outside you have the persona, you know, the the version of us that we become to fit in with the world that follows the system that says, oh, I'm worthy if I do this, or this is the mask I wear, or, you know, the way that we label ourselves. Also, the Enneagram is also known as the persona, the person we are to deal with our pain Yeah. on the outside. Underneath that, I believe, is like the true, the true essence, who we are here to be, like, Lauren as Lauren, as Lauren was intended to be, before, you know, the mass before the systems, before any beliefs, just like your true essence. And then underneath that, at the very center, I believe is divine. And that this is actually a big breaking point for me. And whenever I was like, I don't think I believe that you have to be saved to get the Holy Spirit mm. is whenever I was talking to people from all around the world as a coach. And I started realizing that everyone had this like guiding something, this voice mm. within them, this voice of wisdom, this source, this God self. And I was like, this is interesting. I'm talking to people who are witches and I'm talking to people who are atheists and I'm talking to people who don't care about spirituality. And everyone seems to have this thing that I thought was the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that at the very core of all of us, that we, we are divine as expressed as, so like the the center of it would be divine as expressed as next layer who you are, and then shows up in the world as a human through all the things we've been through as the persona, but all of them are us, you know, Mm. all the ego is us. But what I believe is that Christ is just a person who realized who he was and is the example of a person living in alignment with their true essence and divine self. He just was like, I am a son of God 
And I actually believe that we're all children of God, but we have to like actually go back within peeling back the layers of the persona and realizing we're here to be us. We're here because we're supposed to be here. We don't need to be saved from being here. That God already was here, like you said. Like there's there's no there's no one we need to like n- no one to save. Mm. It's saving ourselves is going in and realizing what what I believe Christ realized is that He was God, as expressed as Jesus. Right. And I think He it was a miracle in that He actually lived in that in a way that so many of us have difficulty doing. Um, for whatever reason, um, so many reasons, but I think that journey home is the journey back to the divine self and realizing that like the human self is also a part of it. Wow. That is so awesome. I'm just gonna, wow. I'm really going to listen to this episode so much and just like, (laughs) let it sink in because that's, wow, that's beautiful. Like, seriously, I love that. I don't Mm -hmm. even have any words. Adam. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, that's, it's just so incredible to shift that mentality <laughs> of it being like this thing where like it, it's instead of being a sacrifice and instead of being, instead of being, uh, self deprecating or, or what, what, what have you, uh, it's, it's a story of finding that descendant faith rather than the ascendant faith that separates. It's finding that faith mm-hmm. where you believe in the the gods within you. And that's just, that's just so beautiful. I love that. When did, when did that happen for you? Like yeah. what, what was that? And, and what was the turning point for you? I guess like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. when did you discover that? Like what, who, who taught you that? How did that happen for you? Was that just a moment in your meditation that you just kind of realized for me, my story of like, you know, how I kind of pictured the whole Jesus story really happened randomly. I, I was just living my life. So was it, like that for you or did you like was it this long process um you know I I really think it it wasn't like a moment that I was like I think this is the case I was I was working with a lot of people as a coach during my deconstruction and I'm really curious I read a lot of books I was studying psychology I I mean I studied psychology in school so I had a history of like okay people say the ego is this and then Christianity says the the flesh and all the ego and the flesh the same and so just a lot of contemplation on human behavior a lot of contemplation on how trauma manifests in in my story I was called out a lot by male church leaders Mm -hmm. that I was you know, too much or talking too much or, um, telling too many stories and being disruptive. And in, in all reality, I was, and it wasn't right. like, it wasn't just a, they didn't want a woman to lead because a lot of people would be like, they just, they didn't want me to lead. Like, no, the reality was I was highly traumatized and my trauma response was anxious talking in a way that took up a lot of space, but never got anywhere. And so it was, it was like truly a cry from help, for help. And when I understand how the nervous system works and how the nervous system can get activated in numerous different ways, it doesn't always look like shutting down and sometimes stays like hyperactive. Yeah. I started to realize that a lot of the ways I had been called out for sin was actually a trauma response, which gave me so much self-compassion and also made me question what we believe about sin, what we believe about right. evil and at what point are we disconnected from ourselves? And so if you, if you can visualize, and I, I, I was also waiting tables during my deconstruction. Mm-hmm. 
doing mm-hmm. my business. And so I asked a lot of questions to strangers that were highly inappropriate. Like, um, <laughs> I would ask my tables, like, do you believe in evil? And if so, uh, what, what is your experience of evil then? Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously this isn't a uh, funded research study. This is me at Houlihan's restaurant conducting yeah. my own research that most people experienced evil as something happening to them that they didn't want. The people who, the people who believed in evil, it felt like lack of agency mm. being out of control. It didn't feel like a, a demon. So like right. I just started asking people a lot of questions and luckily my job is asking a lot of questions and realizing that there's something that happens in trauma and something that happens through socialization that disconnects us from our true selves and tells us that we're bad and wrong. And so we start behaving as such or, or we get stuck on loop in ways that actually don't serve us. And then we call it sin. Yeah. We call it acting out or we think drinking problems is because someone's sinful when really and it gave me so much more compassion towards myself and made me prompt the question of what if we weren't living from the trauma as a collective? What if we weren't living from unworthiness as a collective? Yeah. Um, and so eventually I got to this idea that I thought I made up and apparently didn't, which is <laughs> such a bummer, but I am, I'll have to uh, look in my journal and see who Hillary said made this something similar up, okay. at least wow. that. And I actually wanted to touch on something that Adam said, and I, I forget, I wrote it down because I wanted to remember that like God with us is also God within us. But like Jesus came to remind us that like, God is with and within us. And my view of the death is the death of the ego, the death of the story, the death of the persona of the false self mm. and the resurrection of what's more true. Um, so, which in therapy and just on this journey, I feel like as I peel back the layers of realizing something isn't me or I was living from a mask, it really feels like a death. Yeah. Like I'm, that's why deconstructing was we have to have the lightness because it's like death is a death and that <laughs> brings up so much grief. Even if, even if you're being resurrected to a new life, that's scary. Mm-hmm. Because you still have things you left behind. Yeah, and also being your true self in a world that might not see your true self as worthy is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been like so healing just having this conversation with you which you know what I kind of knew it would like I knew ahead of time which is why I was so excited <laughs> and nervous to talk with you because I just was like okay I feel like there's gonna be things that I discover either I'm gonna say she's gonna say he's gonna say <laughs> somebody's gonna do something and it's gonna be really healing and um I'm sure there's gonna be the listeners who feel the same way and just we would just want to thank you so much for mm-hmm. um saying yes and um, we're honored that you would be on this episode. You have such a beautiful soul. Oh, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. It's my favorite thing to riff on, and you guys are just so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, have a great day, and thank you all for listening. We love you guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>